Well, today we come to Daniel chapter 10, and we're approaching the end of the visions of Daniel. And I entitled uh, this sermon this morning, Fear Not, because we have this twice in the text uh, today. Uh, we have it in verse 12, do not fear, 19, fear not. And I want us to take up the two occasions, if you will, for fear in this text, and then encourage us to receive the word of the Lord, not to fear. Daniel is here in the time of King Cyrus. The edict has already gone out for Israel to go back. Remember now that Israel has been 70 plus years in exile. The Babylonians have, I say Israel, in this case I mean Judah, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel had been exiled much longer ago, but the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, specifically Jerusalem, the temple was destroyed, the people exiled out into Babylon now over 70 years ago. But the Lord has sent his servant, uh, a servant that he prophesied years, centuries before uh, through the prophet Isaiah, that he would send his servant Cyrus. And Cyrus has come and has defeated the Babylonians and now established the Medo-Persian and hence the Persian Empire over, uh, over the same land. So the Assyrians were conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were conquered now by the Persians. And you might think, if you were just a secular historian, that, uh, you know, that, you know, the people of Judah, having been conquered by the Babylonians, now the Persians taking over the Babylonians would essentially do what every conquered, uh, conquering people does. That is, you just, you, you, you envelop the empire you've conquered, and it's all yours now, and you enjoy the, the booty, if you will. But, but something unique happens with Cyrus, because... Cyrus takes over the Babylonian uh, empire, but then with the Jews, he, he sends them home. He says, you, you all can go back uh, from wherever you are around the empire. Uh, you can go back to, to your home and rebuild your city. You can rebuild your temple. Here, uh, we have the articles from the temple. Uh, take them and uh, use them. Uh, take them back and put them in the temple. Rebuild your city walls. I mean, this is within the boundaries of the of the Persian Empire. Like, you don't do that. You don't let a, a people, you know, the reason you, you destroy and deport a people is you, you kind of cut off their communication abilities. You, you know, if, if, if I conquer you and then I scatter you all over, I break you up from all your relationships that you might have, the little centers of power. I put you in a very uncomfortable spot. Right? I don't let you I don't let you have a fortress. I don't let you all speak a common language that I don't understand. I you know all kinds of that's it's gonna be constantly weakening my reign over you. You know, what I do is I come in, take you, scatter you throughout the empire so that you're unsettled, and then I can have my way with what once was your kingdom. So Cyrus is completely reversing any good strategy of foreign policy and managing a conquered people. He allows these people to recongregate build their walls, build their temple, and so forth. And we know why. Because we, again, have seen behind the scenes. We know that the Lord has done this, that the whole reason why Nebuchadnezzar was able to conquer the people of Israel is because the Lord called for it. Nebuchadnezzar was also the servant of the Lord, but to do harm to Israel. He was an arm of judgment. His pride was channeled by the Lord to bring judgment to Israel because they needed it, discipline. 
And now Cyrus is the arm of the Lord for mercy, and he's letting the people go back. But things have not been going very well. Many people don't want to go back. Daniel himself has not gone back. D Daniel gets this vision. He's over at the Tigris River. He, so he's, he's an old man now. He's in his 80s. Maybe the idea of making the trek back is just not where he's at. I don't know. But he's not gone back. We know that when we get to the book of Esther, Esther and Mordecai haven't gone back. Many people haven't gone back. You know, because look, look, we're settled in now. It, this is home now. It's been 70 years. And so the, the, the un-exile of going back, the return from exile, has not been very robust. And if you know that when you know the stories of Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, you know, these guys get back and they start to rebuild the temple, but they start fighting and the whole thing stalls and it doesn't get built and it's, it's discouraging. It's discouraging. So things are good on the one hand, but not so good on the other hand. This is the place where Daniel is when he writes this. And he is saying that uh, he gets a vision at this time. Now, we're not told what that is initially, right? In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, Persia a message was revealed to Daniel. And it was true. We're not told all that it was. But all we know is that it sends Daniel into a season of prayer and fasting. Okay? So Daniel then will eat no pleasant food. So he's depriving himself of rich foods. Uh, no meat, no wine. And nor did he anoint himself. That is, nor did he, like, care for himself, uh, you know, take, you know, bathing and these kinds of things. Um so he, he's going to abstain from that. He's just going to uh, live a, a, a ragged life here for three weeks, a period of, of intense prayer, crying out to the Lord, but nothing. No, no. And this is Daniel who has had these, this pretty open communication with the Lord, but nothing, no response, but Daniel is crying out to the Lord. Then on the 24th day of the first month, while he's over there by the uh, Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and behold, a certain man clothed in linen. So now 24 days or 21 days later, Daniel is out there by the Tigris and all of a sudden a man appears. And this is not strange for Daniel. He's, he's had these uh, angels appearing to him and bringing him messages, but something's different now. This, this is not quite like the others who have brought him messages. Uh, something is different. And we get this description of this man. And the reason I chose Revelation 1 as our reading today um, is because if you lay these two next to each other, you'll see uh, while a little wording is different here and there, uh, the description is, is pretty, pretty identical between the two. So who is this man? That's a question we're confronted with. Uh, is this an angel or is this the angel of the Lord, what some call the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, right? So, so the, the, the presence of God in the form of a man that is angelic, but more than angelic, right? When God shows up and wrestles with Jacob. Right, we have this whole scene of struggling and prevailing, and then the Lord, you know, pops Jacob's uh, socket out of hip and so forth. Um, when the uh, when the men show up to uh, Abraham, you know, when Melchizedek shows up, uh, when we have these these appearances of God as a man, um, 
who are we dealing with here? Who is this? Is it an angel? Jesus is not yet incarnate. And many have said it's a pre-incarnate Christ. It is the second person of the Trinity appearing as a man. Sometimes we get this figure distinctly with the name the angel of the Lord appeared to me and said this, this, or that. You know, we have the commander of the Lord's army, if you will, in, uh, with Joshua. Uh, so we could, we could look at these different occasions where this man uh, appears, uh, appears. And I am of the opinion, hence the reading from Revelation 1, that what we are dealing with here is no mere angel, uh, but we are dealing with the appearance of God in the appearance of man, um, like the angel of the Lord. When John is on the island of Patmos in Revelation 1, and he's at the bottom of his, you know, pit, he's in despair, Jesus appears to him. And the description is very similar to this. And not only is the description similar to this, Daniel and John's responses are similar. Uh, you'll remember, both of them have to be told not to be afraid because they are literally on their faces uh, before, uh, before the Lord. And you can hear the way even at the end of this text, the way that Daniel is speaking. Now, you might say, my Lord, with a small L. You may be just saying, you know, whoever you are, you're my Lord, you know, because like, you're just so great and amazing. But it, it, it's more than that, right? He's like, I can't even, I can't even speak to you. Uh, in fact, the Lord has to, uh, to touch his lips and open them, but we'll, we'll get there in a second. So let's look at this description. So Daniel has been praying and it's been radio silence for three weeks. And okay, we're kind of used to radio silence. Like we, we would, okay, Daniel, why are you, you, why are you bothered? But now the radio silence is broken. And this man shows up. Let's look at the image. When I lifted my eyes, I looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen. You will remember in Revelation 1 that a sound like a trumpet is speaking. And John says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking. And it was the sound of a trumpet uh, and the sound of many waters. And this man that, that John sees is dressed in white linen. And he has a golden sash across his chest. And so we have a very sim similar image here. I looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold. So in, again, in Revelation 1, he's got the, the, the uh, sash that comes across his chest. Here we have the golden belt. And this white linen was the, the clothing of priests. Okay, It was a priestly garment. When we see that vision of Jesus in Revelation 1, what is being depicted is that this is the great high priest. So Daniel gets his vision, and the one who wore the, the white linen outfit was, was a priest. So the first thing that colors our image here is that of a priest. And since Daniel has been making prayers, the priest is the one who intercedes on behalf of his people, and Daniel is given that vision immediately. That's what first catches his eye. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning. And again, if we go to uh, Revelation 1, you will remember that it says his face was like the sun, radiant in glory, like the flash of lightning here where I, it's so bright, I can't, even, I can't even gaze upon it. His eyes were like torches of fire. Again, you'll remember in Revelation 1, he had eyes of fire. Um, the idea here being that 
there is nothing hidden from him. His, his eyes penetrate darkness. He has the discerning eyes of judgment. His arms and feet were like burnished bronze in color. In Revelation 1, you don't have anything about his hands being burnished bronze, but you have the fact that his feet are burnished bronze. Right? That his feet are like precious metal that has gone through the fire. And indeed, he has gone through the fire with his people. Well, remember, back in Daniel 3, there he was literally being in the fire with his people, being refined. He has feet that look like they've been through the fire. Yeah, he was in the fire. He was right there with his people. Right? He has suffered with his people. And his feet, remember, we've also heard about feet within the visions of Daniel. Because you'll remember this amazing statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. Right, This towering figure. And in, in Revelation, the, Jesus is a towering figure in that vision. But you'll remember that in that thing, you had the head of gold, you had the shoulders of silver, you had the waist and thighs of, of, uh, of bronze, you had the, the legs of iron, but the feet, the feet were iron mixed with clay. It was impure, it was weak. And hence a little stone comes over and knocks into it and it crumbles and the whole statue comes down. But, but, but not this image, this, this one, this one who stands before uh, Daniel has feet that have been through the fire and have been refined and they are strong. So his feet were like burnished bronze and the sound of his words like a voice of a multitude. In, in Revelation, it's the voice of many waters. I think of that psalm that I know because we've sung it in this church, Psalm 29. You know, the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord can make the deer go into labor. The voice of the Lord can strip the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord is, is mighty. The voice of the Lord, just when it speaks, things happen and people fall on their faces. And the voice of the Lord here and in, in, uh, in Revelation 1, again, is like the sound of many waters. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, and yet, even though, so this vision is appearing here for Daniel, and he's the only one that can see it. They don't see it, and yet, this presence is so strong that though they can't see the vision, something has wrecked them, and they all go take off running. They don't even know what's going on. They can't, they can't see it. But they, they go running. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled and hid themselves. And I was left alone when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned to frailty. I retained no strength. So he's like utterly sapped. His legs have lost all their strength. He's a wreck. He's broken. Now, again, I, I don't think we're dealing here with Gabriel. <laughs> this, is, this is bigger than Gabriel. Now, there's going to be things about this that make us go, hey, wait a second, right? Because he's going to be, he's going to say, look, I would have gotten here sooner, but I was engaged with, I was engaged with a demonic power and it took me three weeks to deal with him. And I, now I, I left Michael to deal with it. And now I, you know, so there, it is going to say, well, that can't be, that can't be Jesus, but we'll deal with that later. But but this is bigger than Gabriel or Michael, right? This is the presence of God that has left Daniel completely flattened. And I think it's a good reminder to us, you know, because we, we in the 21st century have a very casual view of God. 
You know, we have a very casual view of God. We view him, he, he's supposed to, you know, we, God made us in his image, but we turn around trying to remake God in our image. And so we expect him to be kind of a tolerant 21st century, you know, God that just is okay with everything. And as, as somebody I was listening to said, sort of a, the great Mr. Rogers in the sky that just welcomes, welcomes everybody into his neighborhood that never could say a mean thing to anybody. And, and well, again, th that's not the God that Daniel meets. And Daniel's just getting a vision, you know, of, of, of the appearance of the pre-incarnate uh, Son of God. And yet, it, 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 even though the men can't make out what it is, it has flattened them. Daniel has had all his strength sapped. And I just think that we need to reckon with that, with this image of the God that we worship. So Daniel said, yet I heard the sounds and the words while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep. So this, this voice is speaking to him and he can't, almost can't even process it because Daniel has fallen into a sleep. In John, in, John, uh, in Revelation, John, when he turns and sees this vision, hears the voice of many waters, he falls on his face as if dead. And whether this is death or not, and whether it's like a death and resurrection, I don't know. Whether it's a deep sleep like Adam goes into, Adam is put into a deep sleep and then Eve is made from him. I don't know what it is, but it's more than just, you know, snoozing off. Okay, it's, it's, it's a deep sleep indeed, a death-like sleep. This is what has come on. This is what being in the presence of God, like Isaiah, who falls on his face and calls damnation down upon himself. You know, I am wrecked. He actually says, I am undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. Like that's what encountering God does. Now what happens? Daniel, like John, is down dead-like. And suddenly a hand touched me. Now, one of my favorite things in Revelation is the fact that two times in that book, while John is a mess, <laughs> the Lord comes and wipes away his tears. I've commented on that many times in my talking about Revelation because you've got this amazing juxtaposition of just soul-dismantling terror over the presence of a holy God and yet this unbelievable tenderness of a hand that reaches out and wipes a tear off the cheek. Like God is both these things. He is, he is the one whose name is to be hallowed before whom you are undone. And yet he's at the same time the one who says, you may call me father. Come on in, come on in. You may come boldly before me in my throne of grace. Come on. He does not just command Daniel to get up. He touches him. There's something unbelievably tender about this. Suddenly, Daniel is coming apart at the seams like Isaiah, who also fell on his face. Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. So Daniel can't get, he's just shaking. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word, I stood trembling. So he, he does stand. The Lord has grabbed him and kind of helping him up. His knees are buckling and trembling. And then we get to him. And then he said to me, do not fear. Do not fear. 
And John falls dead before the Lord in Revelation 1. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him and lifts him up and says to him, do not fear. I'm the one who died, he says to John. You know, you've fallen as if dead. Don't, hey, don't be afraid. I'm the one who died. You know, and now I'm alive forevermore. I hold in my right hand the keys of death and Hades. You don't have to fear. And very similar uh, here with Daniel. Do not fear. This man says to him when everything in him is trembling and shook, shaken to the core. So the first do not fear to us is do not fear. And God, I mean, are we, this is so strange for our world. Like, why would you fear God? We love God. I know we get that. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's like there is a, there is a fear that is healthy. You know God rightly if before him your legs are buckling and, and you know his holiness so much so that you know that in and of yourselves you're undone. But the good news of the gospel to you is this, do not fear. And it's not me telling you that. It's Jesus Christ himself who extends his hand to you in this unbelievably tender way. The tender way that we see in the person of Jesus Christ who sits beside the woman at the well at Samaria and tenderly woos her out by confronting her with her sin so that she can be healed. The, 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 the Jesus who loves a prostitute and lets her touch him. The, the, the Jesus who lets the woman with the flow of blood touch the hem of his robe. The Jesus who's not afraid to hug a leper and to touch a leper. An unclean man. But the son of God himself takes on our flesh so that he can come and touch the unclean and say to them, do not fear. Who can restore the sinful Peter after Peter denies him three times. Can sit beside him at breakfast. And say to him, do you love me, Peter? And restore him. I mean, the, the, the Jesus who comes and though he knocks Paul off his horse, takes away his blindness and calls him to be his servant to the Gentiles. You know, so there's this, we see this pattern. The fear on the one hand is the right thing, right? He comes and blinds Paul on the road to Damascus. Like he appears before him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And for the first time, Paul, who thought he knew God very well because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, don't forget. If anybody knew God, Paul knew God, Saul. And yet for the first time in his blindness, he sees God. Right in the trembling, knocking off of his horse. You know, you know, who are you, Lord? You know. And yet then he is able, the Lord does not leave him in that blindness, but rather draws him out and restores him. So we need that Isaiah-like, Daniel-like, Paul-like, Jacob-like recognition of the holiness of God. And then we need to hear the good news of the gospel that comes through Jesus, do not fear. Now, the second thing we're not to fear are the circumstances. <laughs> so, But if you get, if you get that first thing right, if you know who God is and you see him as he is in all of his glory and you've been, you've been broken there and think I'm undone, when he picks you up and says, don't fear, well then, if, if I don't have to fear that, what else do I have to fear? Well, the news now comes to Daniel 
He's told not to fear, Daniel. For from this day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. I have come because of your words. Think about that. Think just, we don't have time. We can talk about this if we have a little time in Sunday school, about the, the effectiveness of prayer. I have come because of your words. Your words have led me here. So your prayers have brought me here. I know you were praying for three weeks, but your prayers have brought me here. And then we get the strange thing, but the prince of Persia withstood me for 21 days. So I was coming to you, but en route, I was confronted by the prince of Persia. Now the, the prince of Persia here does not mean Cyrus. What's being referred to here is some angelic, spiritual principality behind Persia, right? Not Cyrus. Cyrus is the servant of the Lord. Cyrus is the guy who's doing the Lord's will and sending the people back. What's being described here is spiritual cosmic battle. That behind Persia is a spiritual power of Persia that is confronting even the Lord of hosts. That there is a battle here. Now, why, if it is in fact the Lord Jesus Christ, or even if it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it's Michael or Gabriel, it's, it's still, they, they battle on behalf of Christ. Why would it take three weeks? That's a, that's a fair question. You know, why, but, but then we can ask the question, why does the Lord allow anyone to resist him? Whether it's spiritual powers or human powers. Why is anyone allowed to resist the will of the Lord? Why is anyone allowed to do evil, something the Lord doesn't want? Think, uh, just to give us some answer to this, think about that passage in uh, Genesis 32 when God wrestles with Jacob. And remember, he couldn't beat him. It says, you know, it said, it said he was wrestling with Jacob and the, this man's wrestling with, oh, that man is this man. And he's wrestling with Jacob and it says, and when he saw the sun was coming up and he could not prevail, he touched Jacob's socket of his hip and popped it out of joint and, and you know, this thing came to an end. But what do you mean he couldn't prevail? Well, Calvin does a beautiful job with this. You know, and Calvin says what's happening in this story of God wrestling with Jacob is God is holding Jacob in one hand and wrestling with him <laughs> with the other. You know, it's like, of course, God can prevail. It's not that, but God allows himself, God allows Jacob to resist him God allows himself the weakness to give Jacob this chance until it brings to the point where he ends it with a popping out of a socket. But Calvin says, with the one hand he wrestles, with the other hand he upholds. In Revelation 4, when they are praising God, John gets his vision, then he's taken up into heaven, and he sees the throne room of God. The people are singing around the throne, and do you know what they're singing? Holy, 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 the angelic beings are singing. But then all creation begins to sing, Lord, all things were created by you. And by your will, they exist. I don't know why the prince of Persia is allowed to resist the Lord for three weeks, but he does. And the Lord upholds the prince of Persia in one hand and wrestles with him in the other. And why the Lord draws it out the way he does, I don't know, but that's his will, not mine. But he breaks this news to Daniel that the prince of Persia has resisted me. But the prince of Persia, the kingdom of Persia, withstood me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of our chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And now I have come to make you understand 
what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. So here we go again. So Daniel has been lifted by the Lord. Now the Lord breaks this news to him. Hey, there's going to be suffering for your people. Daniel's down again, and he's speechless. And then suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Again, with the touching. And I opened my mouth and I spoke, saying to him who stood before me, Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you? My Lord, as for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of, this, of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said to me, O man, greatly loved, fear not. So again, with the fear not. First, we encounter God, and we have to reckon with that, and he lifts us up in fear. And then we have to encounter the realities of serving this God. And they'll make your knees buckle as well. But there again, the Lord is with us, because the Lord has feet of burnished bronze. The Lord has been in the fire with you. In the hymn we sang, right, when he's the, that, that opening hymn that is telling us to hear the, the, the enemies that are around you, to see them, and so forth. Then at the end, the Lord says, hey, are you weary? I was weary too. Like, I've been there. I've, I've, I've been in the trenches. I, and that, that's what he says to, to John in Revelation 1. Don't you fear. I have died. And I'm alive forevermore. And I hold in my right hand the keys of death and Hades. If I hold the keys of death and Hades, you don't have to worry about what the Persians will do to you or what the Greeks will do to you or what the Romans will do to you or what the prince of Persia will do or the prince of the Greeks, you know, the power of the Greeks or the power of the Persians. Don't worry about that. Don't be afraid. And he said to me, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. These are the same words that the Lord says to Joshua in, in Joshua 1. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Be, be strong and courageous. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened, right? The word of the Lord does stuff. When he speaks, the, the mountains of Kadesh the shake, the deer go into labor. Like when he speaks, it's done. And he says to Daniel, be strong. Yes, be strong. And so when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you know why I have come to you? Basically referring back up into verse 14. I came to let you know what your people were going to have to go through. And now I must return to the fight with the prince of Persia. When I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So again, we've got, hey, Persia's one thing, but now we've got the Greeks coming in as well. And they're going to bring more trouble. Alexander's going to come in, and then we know what's coming after that, right? The Romans are coming in, and we're going to have to deal with that. So what do we take from this? Well, number one, we take the fact that God is holy. Number two, we take the fact that God is sovereign. He is in charge of these things and he is ruling. But number three, we take the fact that we have real enemies, both physical and spiritual. But number four, we take the fact that God fights for us. In that story of Joshua, when Joshua is told to be strong and courageous, you'll remember that he was preparing to go fight the battle of Jericho. And as he was preparing to go the night before the battle, he's all geared up, ready to go, and he's going, going over those plans one more time, and all of a sudden, a man comes out with a sword drawn. That's not good. He's coming from Jericho, and Joshua grabs his sword. You know, are you for us or against us? And the man says, neither, but as commander of the Lord's army, I speak to you. you know, 
And then he get, and then he rearranges his whole battle plans. You're going to march around the city and you're going to blow the trumpet and you know, and all this bad planning that no general in the history of the world would ever do. But because the commander of the Lord's army said, "Do it, you do it." And the idea there was that the commander of the Lord's army was coming from Jericho with his sword drawn. Right, he had already won the battle. I know you got issues with the Greeks and the Persians, but just know, Michael and I, you know, we're doing battle with the powers of Persia. And with the powers of the Greeks, we're fighting for you. We hear your prayers and we are acting. Now we'll have to play these visions out and we will over the next couple weeks, but may we take that away. May we have on the one hand a healthy fear, but may we also receive the peace of the Lord as he grants it to us for he has given it to you in his relationship with you, but also in his, your relationship with the world. You need not fear any of the powers of this age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your power and your glory, your holiness and righteousness. And we confess that we make you a small God, a manageable God, a token God, a patriotic God, a God that we can manipulate, a Santa Claus God, a God bless America God. We make you a small God that is not very intimidating at all, a God who tolerates, a God who welcomes, not a God of holiness and a God of wrath. But Father, we pray that through this text today, you would begin once again to remove the smudges from our lenses, our eyes, that we might see you for who you are. And as uncomfortable as it might be, for it will be uncomfortable, for we are sinners. At the same time, may we receive your words of peace, your words of, uh, of calm, calm to fear not, that we might be at peace with you and then be at peace with the world around us, confident in you to win all our battles. Father, be with us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.